2 Samuel chapter 21, and we're going to read 15, 16, and 17. And um, we'll dive into this together. 2 Samuel chapter 21, 15, 16, and 17. If you're there, say amen. If you need another moment, say it. Just, just amen in a minute. <laughs> 2 Samuel 21, 15, 16, and 17. I'm going to read slowly for you here. It says, when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines. And David grew faint. Then Ishbi Binab, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but again, you don't know anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Ishbi Benob, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels. I want just, that's, that's a pretty heavy spear. This bronze spear was a heavy um, tool of defense or weapon. Who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David, but says Abishai the son of Zeruah came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him then the man of David swore to him saying you shall go out no more with us to battle lest you quench the lamp of Israel I'm going to speak to you on the topic tonight of David and the other giant David and the other giant we always focus on David and a giant, but I want you to know sometimes in your life, there are other giants. There's other giants. Let's pray together and ask the Lord right now, Jesus, to help us, I pray. I'm asking you to help us, guide us, speak to us, Lord. We need your help. We need your help. We need your help. We can't do this without you, God. So I'm praying that you'd break every yoke. I pray that you'd help our eyes be open, our hearts be open to you. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. There are a few great lessons we can learn from David's life involving giants. Um, the first we might call the giant David slew. Everybody knows the story. Let me just pause for just for a moment if you hear that running. Um, we had a, when you walked in, you probably thought, man, what, what's the aroma? If you dare call it an aroma. Um, we had, we had uh, not noticed, and when I say we, I say me, did not realize there was a nice chest that Sheila left um, that was unattended. And, um, and it just kind of came together to make, bring attention to itself. And so thankfully, a mother came and searched out that said ice chest and disposed of that said ice chest. And so I just want to publicly apologize to you tonight and tell you I'm very sorry. Thank you for forgiving me. Um, everybody knows, though, the story of Goliath and David. Uh, we oftentimes reflect on that when you feel like there's a feat that you cannot overcome or you feel like you, you overcame something great. We reflect and, and we, we identify as that David fighting Goliath. 
He won a great victory that day and, 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 and defended the armies of the living God. The second we might call the, the giant that slew David. That giant was temptation. It was a giant in his life that was temptation, and truthfully, it wrecked David's life. Let me just, let me just pause here for a moment real fast. If we are going to preach about David and love the story of David, then one of our own brothers or sisters, when they fall, we cannot celebrate their fall. We, it, it doesn't work both ways. You can't talk about an overcoming story and then say, well, I can't believe they messed up. You can't do it. You have no right to celebrate David's life if you celebrate somebody else's fall. David's life, life involved a fall, involved mistakes, involved messing up. So we've got to be careful, but this temptation wrecked his life. But there was a third giant that David faced. This giant came along later in life, and David was not able to kill him. His name was Ishbi Benab, and, and, and like Goliath, he was a Philistine. David bravely faced the giant, but he grew tired, and the Bible says he waxed faint and would, would have been able, um, would have been killed if Abishai, his nephew, had not come to his rescue. And yes, it's that same David who had, his, who had earlier slain the champion of the Philistines, but now nearly dies at a lesser opponent at a different stage in his life or a different moment in his life. And no one knows exactly what, what was taking place. No one knows if it was the same type of battle fully. However, we know that he almost died. And, and so we find that there's some things that we can learn from this, this text, and we read it, and I won't, I won't read all, all that again, but, but we can look from, from uh, 2 Samuel 21, and we can gather a few thoughts, and I've got a few things there. Um, April's going to help me out with, with some of my screen points, but there's one thing I want you to get is that there's always a possibility that giants have a way of coming back. They always have a way of coming back, and everybody in this room you faced a giant. Everybody in this room at some point, you faced or you're facing a giant. Something in your life, something in your childhood, something in your presence, something somewhere that seemed insurmountable to a point where you were not sure exactly how, but not only you, but what makes David's story so great is that everybody else counted him out. Everybody else said, you're not the guy. Everybody else said, there's no way you could be there. But the Lord saw something on his life or in his life. And I just want to tell you real fast, giants have a way of coming back. That's why I celebrate with those who are walking through Celebrate Recovery. Because recovery is not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing action of behavior that allows me to know that whatever I had that was hurt in my life, whatever I had that was pain in my life, or whatever it was that tripped me up, it's the reality is that's a giant that sometimes out of nowhere comes walking right back into my life. Some of you have heard the story about James from from our church in, in Northwest Arkansas. James was a guy that we were there for a few months and we began to drive around. We were trying to find brand new people. Um, and and I, I found James at, at uh, a halfway house, uh, Decision Points in Springdale, Arkansas, and I began to pick him up. 
And James, at the time, all I knew was he was, he was uh, an addict and he needed God. And so we drove him to that, that some of y'all saw it, that really, 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 really bad building we had. That first building where it was like in the, in the dumps of, of Springdale. And it, we had um, animals living above the ceiling. And when you go to the, I've talked about this before, but if you've never heard it, this is real stuff. When you go to the bathroom, you turn the light on, the fan would come on, and the raccoon that was living up there would start scratching. And it would start making noises, saying, saying, please, please, I'm trying to rest. And it would tell us, it would tell you to, to, to hurry up and get out. And then slowly you begin to see that ceiling tile. It was that old ceiling tile, not the big ones, but it would start kind of making a little movement. And one lady came out and said, please, please, can you do something about the animal? <laughs> we were trying to bring people to this building, and somehow in that, in that place, or for the first 40 days, we had no running water. We were literally had one person that was assigned to drive people back and forth to the shell station if they needed to go to the bathroom. I'm not joking at all. I'm serious about this. And, and, but, the, but somehow the Lord moved in a mighty way. And I didn't know James that well. I just knew he was recovering. I knew when he got in the car, he talked 90 to nothing. I knew he would just go to go, 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 and I would sit back and I would smile and I'd, we'd drive. And then we'd go home, and I'd go get him food, and we'd take him back to the place. And I'd pick him up on Wednesday, and then I had to get in touch with him. So I ended up getting him a cell phone where I could reach out to him and make sure he's all good. And, and we did this for like four months. And then finally one day he says, yeah, when I got in church, and I said, well, where'd you get in church at? And he said, well, I got in church in Florida. And I said, okay, well, he said, yeah. And then I went to Apostolic Bible Institute, and I went, what'd you say? He said, I went to Apostolic Bible Institute. I said, well, Apostolic, isn't that a... My dad went to Apostolic Bible. And that in St. Paul, he said, yes, sir, I did. I said, James, when you said you got in church, I, I thought, you, what, what do you mean? Well, he went to a, a, a church that we're connected to down in Florida, and he got in church there. And then he had a moment because his dad walked out on him. His mom was an abuser. He made some mistakes. He fell on the things they fell on. And at a young age, he was addicted to heroin at 15 years old. Then he grew up, and he got off of it, and then he fell back to it. You know why? Because giants have a way of trying to come back and so it was an ongoing struggle for him and here's the deal he was just like any of us he was somebody just like us trying to get over something trying to get through something trying to make it over something and I began to watch him as he as he began to come back in church and come back to a place when I remember remember the one day when I was playing the guitar and I looked up and James had his hands up to die and the Holy Ghost fell on him and began to pray back through and and and, and he was living on fire for God he would send me these long run-on sentences that were all whole testimony of all God had done and 30 minutes later when I was done reading him he had sent me 30 minutes more to read and I would read all these things and he was on fire then one day he stopped answering the phone you know why because giants have a way of coming back I waited for that call I waited and I'd saved his number on my phone and some said why are you keeping his phone going I said because he's going to use it someday to call me back and, and it was one morning, I remember it very vividly, it was 2.36 a.m. And we were in our house on 1111 Cottonwood and Rogers, and I pick up the, I, I, my phone starts ringing, and James was in my favorites, so that when it's on Do Not Disturb, it would ring. And it rang, I didn't know if it was my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sister, my wife, my, my, but it was James was the only non-family member in the favorites. And it rang, I picked up the phone, I said, James, where are you at? And he started talking, 90 to nothing. He, he went right back to telling me he had, where he had been and what he had gone through with the way he was talking. And I said, James, stop talking to me right now. Tell me where you are. And he broke down. He said, I'm, I'm, they, they caught me. 
They took my car. I'm in Bentonville walking down the road. And I said, James, stop at that Casey's gas station. I'll come pick you up. And I drove straight to him, and I picked him up. And he got in the car, and I, I went from being kind to I was so upset. I remember being so upset. And you say, well, how dare you? When you invest as much as I had invested in this good man, there's a reason why I was so upset. And I also knew he needed, he needed to know that I was passionate about his soul. And we drove for a moment. He was talking. I said, James, listen to me. I'm, I pulled over the side of the road. I said, I need to know something. Are you going to fight this or are you going to let it come back? He said, what do you mean? I said, I need to know right now. Because if you're giving up, then get out of this car and walk to wherever you need to walk to. But if you're going to fight it, then you need to tell me right now. And with that, he put his hands on his face, and he wept and cried. And we sat there in that parking lot, and he said, I don't know what to do. I said, you don't have to know what to do. We're going to figure it out together. And so we did that very thing. I went to the, a, little, a little motel and grabbed the $35 that I had and asked them if they could work me out two nights. I said, call me every time he leaves. Put a note. Anytime room 16 leaves, y'all call me. And I went over there after I got him a toothbrush, got him some lunch, some little microwave meals. And, they, and I called the hotel the next day. I called up the next day. They said, he has not left once. They said, as a matter of fact, he's had to do not disturb. He slept that whole time. And from that point on until right before we left, when we kind of got him situated in a place where he, could, he, could, he, he was closer to his home, James had recovered. James was living for God. James had a wife and two kids that he was growing in the church. James was doing all these things well. James helped me build out that building. James is the best painter of anybody you've ever seen, and he started his own painting company there in Northwest Arkansas, has many big, big clients. What I'm trying to tell you is the giant comes back, but don't forget who you are and what you're able to do and what you have inside of you. The giant might try to show back up. Picture this scene. David may have thought... He might have thought in that moment, had a little bit of a reminder that I've been here before. I didn't, didn't I already beat a Philistine? Didn't I already do this once? And, 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 and we can reflect back on that. But, but our giants many times come back. They come back and the devil is continually on a warpath trying to destroy us and cause you and I to stumble, trying its best. Not to, not to alert us to a point when, or a degree where we say, you know what, I, 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 I'm, I'm speaking over this. Or Oftentimes it's just there to tempt us into sin that invites the enemy in so that we don't really even know what's going on or where it came from. Learn from James 1.14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. This is, this is the way temptation works. I'll tell you something real fast. Temptation is real. Temptation is real, dangling what you need. Oftentimes, not even that, but it looks, it's shiny, it's an object of desire in your heart where it says, come, come here. And, and, and temptation, temptation is common to all. But every man is tempted, it says. Every man. And temptation is something everyone goes through. No one can escape the grasp of temptation. No one can overcome 
on their own or defeat temptation on their own. Temptation is coming to everybody. Everybody will, will have in your life at some point temptation, whether it be a job that is not of God, whether it be uh, a desire to, 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 to commit to something that's not of God, whether it be a relationship, whether it be whatever it is. We talked about it not long ago, but you got to be careful. And many times I'll tell you this, when temptation comes, the way to deal with it, right off the bat, just a practical way to deal with it, make it public right then. The moment you hide temptation, the moment you're sitting there and something shows up and you hide temptation from those around you. That's the problem. That's the first act that's not right. That's the first thing you did wrong. Many times I've got to say, to, I've got to say, you know, I, I've got to be careful. Let me just be straight up with you right now. And I don't know why I said straight up. It just sounded like a good version of what I wanted to say. But I want to be real. There's a young lady that went to our church in Lowell that's no longer going to the church in Lowell. And I'm going to shoot you very straight right here because this is our society. She is slowly, and I, we, we, Followed each other on Instagram, my wife and I. This young lady was doing really, really good and, 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 and went through a tough time in life. And now she's found herself just kind of posing a little bit different. I'm not saying it's anything too risque, but the other day it was something I didn't need to see. And I didn't want to see it. And I looked at my wife and I said, babe, I need you to go and I need you to search out this person. And I need you to go and unfollow them and actually block them from my phone. Not because I hate that person. It's because I hate temptation. You follow what I'm saying right now? I don't like temptation. I don't want to do that to myself. I don't want to make myself have to over and over make the right decisions. Why not just make one right decision rather than trying every day to make the right decision? And so I no longer follow this good young lady. Does that mean I don't pray for her? No, I still pray for her. I still pray God brings her back. I still pray that God heals whatever took place in her life. But I'm praying from afar and keeping this all right is that all right just a little practical teaching just for a moment there but we've got to be, be, be aware that, that that temptation comes to everybody another thing that we find in this text is that temptation is gradual temptation doesn't want to get everything that you've got on day one it wants to work you in the deep end slowly when he is drawn away very seldom do we ever see just, just someone just turn their back on God. No, we see a slow moving back. We see a slow just, ah, I'm stepping back a little bit. I'm just, I just need a little time. I just need a little space. And, 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 and so, so we, we, we begin to, to pull back here. We begin to pull back there. And, and, and before you know it, it's all of a sudden we found ourselves in this mess of, 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 of giving ourselves into temptation. You, there's a reason why it's gradual. It's, it's, it's over time. Because once you get to a certain point, it's harder and more difficult. You ever mowed your lawn uh, that one time after you ignored it for like four or five weeks? You know what I'm talking about? It's like it's, it's easier if you just mow it. Honestly, get out there and mow it every week. It's easier, y'all. And, and, and it's like we tell our kids. You're, it's going to be more difficult to hang your clothes up at the, on the back side than it is on the front side. Just hang them up. I'll be honest with you. It's not what we tell our kids. It's what Tara tells me and the kids, okay? So it's, uh, it's, more e it's, more, it's, it's easier to just hang them up on the front side rather than hanging all 40 items up at the, when you're trying to hurry at the door. I'm just having a little moment of confession right now. Is that all right? It's good for me. But, but, but it, you know, when I was a kid, I'd, I'd, I'd go and I'd be ready to mow someone's lawn. And I had like this little business on the lane circle back in the day. I, I had a catch, though. I'd say, can I mow your lawn? And they'd say, yes. I'd say, okay, where's your mower? 
and your gasoline. <laughs> and they're like, what? It's a great plan, by the way, no overhead. And so, but when you let that line go a long time, you're not, you can't just push along and just keep it low. But if you do that, if you mow that thing once or twice a week in the summertime when that Bermuda's growing, you've got to sometimes mow it twice a week. But it's easy then because it's just taking a little bit off. But when you leave it, I'd come home from camps, and all of a sudden that lawn is that tall. My neighbors are looking at me all weird, and I'd go out there. But you almost have to do like the Pac-Man mow where you lift it up and you drop it down. You lift it up and you drop it down. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody been there? How many Pac-Man mowers we got in the house tonight? It's being real right now. It's, you'd, you'd rather just throw gasoline on it all and say, Lord, help it. In Jesus' name, we'll see you next week. But the reality is that sometimes when you let it be, the gradual growth becomes greater than the attention you should give it now. So let me just tell every man in the room for a moment. Let me talk to every man in the room. If you have something gradual in your life, you go to somebody now, today, tonight, tomorrow, whatever, and you go and say, listen, I need help. Is that all right? Ladies, I'd say the same thing to you. But we are at a place right now where we have more and more, and men operate by looking, by visual. Oftentimes it's there, and so guess what? It's easier for us, but ladies, oftentimes for you, it's the feeling of what that made you feel when you saw it. It's the desire of having that. It's the desire of attaining that. It's the, it's the, the fuzzy, uh, picturesque moment where you say, that's what I want right there. And then after that, you look at your husband, and you're like, oh, you're terrible. And you don't realize that you're gradually painting this sad image over your life when someone else just propped themselves up for a moment in their life. And if you're dealing with the gradual, gradual uh, deception of feelings and enamored by what you don't possess, you ought to go to somebody quickly. And say, I need help. I need help. Satan knows where you are um, where your weakest points are. He's aware of it. And he'll do everything he can to exploit that. I may be strong where, I, where, where, where you are weak and, and, and vice versa. There might be some strengths you have and I, I have weaknesses there. But that's why we should always lean on each other and pray for each other and, and bind together. So temptation is gradual, but also we find that temptation is custom made. Temptation's for you. It's for you. It's made for you. It's, it's, it's looking at you and saying, I know what could possibly affect them, and I'm going to give them my best shot. It's, it's for you. Uh, he, he, was, he was drawn away of his own lust, what, what, me, what made it for him. And so, so we've got to be careful, but also temptation is very attractive. Very attractive. He was drawn away of his own lust. And enticed. He was, he was lured. Paul warned the Corinthians that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11 and 4. When speaking of the faithful, the inspired writer of Hebrews mentioned the temptation of Moses and stated that he rather suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. 
Jesus is a good example of Satan and his, and his device of temptation we find. We're, we're in Luke 4, 1 through 13, and if we can get that, Luke 4, 1 through 13, we're going to read this together. But, but, but even Jesus himself was not exempt from temptation. You would say, well, how in the world could he be uh, tempted? Well, he was man like you and I. Just like you and I, he was, he was flesh. And so we find that even he could be tempted, and he was. In, in, in the Gospel of Luke, we find that, and um, we'll get those in just a moment. I threw that at uh, April real quick here. But we find where, where Jesus now is at, a, at a, a place where temptation comes to him, and it says, And Jesus, being fully, I'm sorry, full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being 40 days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. So he goes out, he's fasting in that moment, and we find that his first temptation was with food, the lust of the food. We find where the devil said to him, if thou be the son of God, command the stone that it be made bread. You see what he did there? He said, you've not been eating anything. You're hungry, aren't you? Aren't you hungry? If you're hungry, then why don't you take this stone and make it a loaf of bread? That would be nourishing, wouldn't, you? wouldn't it? Take away your focus of all that you're doing and all that's good and use your powers outside of where you should use them and use your, your, your divine nature outside of where you should use it. And, and instead of being poured into, why don't you use it right now, cut it short, and take that. And Jesus answered him saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He was, he was, uh, he was in this moment overcoming the temptation. The enemy was looking at him saying, this is not who you are. You're not. Jesus didn't walk around being hungry, but in that moment he was hungry. You get what I'm saying there? You might say, well, I don't battle that. But in that moment, you might battle that. So the enemy's waiting for that moment. We can keep those scriptures up if you don't mind. The next, in, in verse 5 through 8, uh, verse 5 through 8, he was, he was tempted with power or the lust of the eye. The devil taking him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He would have looked over and saw Egypt, all the material things, all the wealth, all the stuff that would have, uh, that would have um, been examples of all that you could possibly have in this earth. And the devil said unto him, all this power... Will I give thee? He had no right to give it to him. And the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever will I give it. Verse 7 goes on a little bit farther. If thou therefore wilt worship me, if you'll fall down and bow to me, all shall be yours. Let me just pause for a moment before we go on. He wasn't going to give him a thing. It's the way temptation works. It promises you a life of happiness. And delivers a life of sorrow and regret. You never get it. There's a joke. There's a joke in the in the um, younger people. I guess you could say. Oftentimes, you 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 say, "Well, I want I want an iPhone, but I can't afford an iPhone, so I go to Wish." Have you ever been to Wish before? Wish.com. Sometimes Wish is it's you know you can you can maybe find a good thing here and there, but they probably got all your information too after that. By the way. Wish is a place where they make uh, knockoff little things from China, and they, they sell them. You know, you don't get an iPhone, but you get a, um, a MyPhone, and you, you get that, and it's, it's, it's 19 pennies, 
and you order it, and people will say, well, if that, like, that's what you're getting if you ordered it from Wish, like a phone that's like broken half, the screen doesn't work. That's what the enemy does, though. The enemy offers you something off of Wish. He offers you something. You say, I want that, but I want it at a lesser price. It's going to be easier to attain it. And he delivers something that only lasts for a day. It's broken after that. You wasted your money anyways. There's no gratification in it. It's not going to be any good. I hope you enjoyed your little transaction, but now you're looking back and thinking, I wish I had just saved for the real thing. So he's telling them that all this will be yours. He can't, he's not going to deliver anything to him. And Jesus answered and said, get thee behind me. He says, get behind me, Satan. You know what he does? He attacks him with the word. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. He comes right back at him and says, I know you're trying to tempt me, but let me be real with you right now. You can tempt me with anything you want to, but I'm only worshiping the Lord. That's all I've got. And he says, and we go on, uh, the next point I want to bring up is, is with verse 9 through 12. He was finally tempted with this last part, which is pride, and I've got to hurry here. But, but he, he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou shalt be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. In other words, do you enjoy riding high in this? Do you enjoy where you're at? Is this, and, and, and it goes on in verse 11. It says, And in their hands they shall bear thee up, unless at any time thou shalt uh, uh, dash thy foot against a stone. Verse 12, And Jesus responds with this, and he says, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. We find here that, that, that we are instructed to attack temptation with the word. We also find that the devil will go down the list of anything that might work with you. Your current situation, your, your, your permanent situation. And he goes on to the next thing and he deals with the situation that's beyond that and how he's viewed by people. The enemy tries to find any way, different maneuvers, different tactics, but he wants to find a way. If one doesn't work, he goes to the next one. First John 2 and 15 through 17, I'm not going to ask that to be thrown, but listen closely. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that uh, is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away. That's what I want you to hear right now. All the things that you're tempted by will pass away. They'll crumble. There'll be no more. And the lust thereof, but he that doth, I'm sorry, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let me just tell you again right now. The things that you feel like would, would, would up your status and make you this or make you that the things you feel that would exalt you, the things that you feel like are hindering you from making a deep commitment to God, the things that you're saying, I don't want to give up. So if, I, if it's that or God, I don't, I, I don't know if I can do it. All of those things will pass away. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Verse 13, and when the devil... When we're going back to Luke 4 uh, in, in, in 13. When the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. This means for a fixed time. 
I'm not going to get through all, the, all of this tonight, but we, we might just pick up um, uh, next week. But it's for a fixed time, a seasonable or opportune time is what that phrase means. The devil departed from him but kept watching for another opportunity to tempt him. He walked back like Sinbalat in, in, in Nehemiah, set up a lawn chair and watched, waiting to see if there was a, some bad news or, or, or hurt or struggle, just watching to see what he could possibly do. He, he walked away from a, for a season only to try to come back in another season. Thus, it was possible for the inspired writer that we find here in Hebrews 4.15. It speaks and says, He was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. For we have not a high priest, which is what it's talking about, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. He's speaking of this. Consider Abraham, who faced the same temptation twice and fell both times. Genesis 12 and 13. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And Abraham, in Genesis 20 and 2, Abraham said of Sarah's wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Jerah, sent and took Sarah... Uh, um, it, it took Sarah, um, and, and, and we find that he's fallen into the sin again and again, making mistakes that are not like a man of God. But yet, let me tell you real fast, also we find that are like a man of God. So don't, don't give up when you slip and you fall. Just know. We talked about it a, a while back, but, but the, the, I want you to get this where, where the, the Bible declares that Lot was righteous. Lot was a bad man that made terrible mistakes. But what I want you to get out of this is that oftentimes what establishes righteousness from one who's fallen is your next steps. What you do next. I was tempted and I made a mistake or I made a bad call. But here's the reality. Another bad decision does not help my temptation. Another good decision helps me get back up and restores me and brings me to a place where I can be whole. Let me give me just a few more minutes. I know it's, it's still early. Just I don't want to get too deep because I really think we're just going to come back. But, but, but old sins will come back to haunt us just like the giant came back. People you know, you'll walk in at times. And you'll think, oh my goodness, I remember partying with them. Or I remember, you know, I, I, this, this, this is an awkward moment for me. And there's moments where people bring up your past and say, yeah, you remember this? And you're like, man, I, not a good time, you know. Giants will walk back into the living room. Old sins will come back in to haunt us. One victory never guarantees freedom from further temptation. But it should teach you a lesson of how to overcome it again and again and again and again and again. Giants have a way of coming back. So I want you to hear this right now. This, this should teach us and give us the understanding that we cannot live on past accomplishments. We can't do it. I can't stake my claim in the fact that I defeated it 20 years ago and I'm good to go. I have nothing to worry about. No, you got to defeat it a, a day uh, at a time. That's why Paul said, I die daily. I, die, I deal with it every day. He woke up every day and, 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 and was struggling with his attitude. He woke up, and I know it's hard to believe. He often talked about sports and Olympics and racing. 
Guess what? Many people who are involved in all those things, they struggle a little bit with their ego. So guess what Paul was saying? Paul was saying, this is me. This is who I am. At times, I'm arrogant. At times, my flesh rules. At times, I'm above things. At times, I'm, I, I don't look at it. And so he realized my flesh is not always good. So what does he do? He looks up and says, I die daily. I've got to get rid of it daily. And so David probably was similar where he looked up and he could probably say, you know, I'm the one that killed Goliath. You know, I'm the one when Goliath Goliath said, is this who you're sending out to me? He probably said, he probably said, I've been there and done that. You heard him. You heard these people call me the giant slayer. But, but, but Ishmi Benab was not interested in the past. He wanted to see what David could do in the present. So Ish, uh, um, Ishmi Benab walked out and said, I know you did it once, but I'm coming at you at a different season in your life. And so David's reputation did not stop temptation from walking back out in another, another battlefield. You might have preached the greatest sermon. You might have won the most souls. You might have led the good old songs. You might have done anything and everything. You might have taught Sunday school for 30 years. You might have delivered a thousand meals and mom's home cooking. Anybody remember mom's home cooking? You might have taken all those little styrofoam plates to all those businesses and helped keep this church afloat. You might have sat on mom and daddy's lap, grandma and grandma's lap, and just listen to all the preaching in the world. But just because you did that does not mean that you're exempt from temptation in your life now. You can't say, I've always been there, so this is what I am. You've got to realize tonight that the enemy might be trying to creep up in your life in a different season in your life and look at you and say, yes, you defeated it then, but I'm a new giant and you are a little different than you were then. I've got to be, I've got to be uh, violent in my prayer and I've got to be ready to go and vigilant in my tactics to overcome any and all temptation that might rise up in my life. Just because I did it then doesn't mean I can't, I, I can do it now. And I'm, I'm, I'm not just talking about 30 years ago. You might say, you know what? I had the breakthrough of my life last week. Well, let me tell you, you ought to have the breakthrough of your, uh, breakthrough of your life tomorrow. You ought, to, you ought to decide in your life, in your mind, and, in, 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 in get a will about you that says, my greatest victory is going to be a recent victory. I remember back in the day when, when I was younger, I used to go out to the feaster, and I, I didn't really consider it a job, but I got paid. 13 years old, I was going out to Feaster Park and I was working, dragging the softball fields, getting ready for softball games every night. I'd call a collect phone call. The old Feaster building there had a pay phone in it. I'd call mom and dad and say, I'm ready to come home and they'd come pick me up. I was getting paychecks from Parks and Rec. Mike Volts, great man, he's, he's, he's no longer living, but he was a very kind person to me and helped me out. As he, I, was, I was just always wanting to be around feaster and helping and I, I, I learned that I liked having about $200 a week when I was that age and I look back and think what did I do with this money probably hidden somewhere in a shoe I don't know but one time I, they, I, I think I've told this before but I was supposed to make like $220 that week but they added a one on the front of it I remember getting that paycheck from downtown I was like at a moment of what do you do now 
that's a lot of money. When you're like, at that time, I was probably 14, 15 years old. And I walked back in there, and, I said, and Mike Brumley was running Parks and Rec with the city. And I said, Mike, I think I made a mistake. He said, Oh, Paul, that could have been bad. He said, We would have gotten the money one way or the other. I said, What you want to do about it, Mike? You know, no, just kidding. They cut me a better check. But when we'd go out there and I'd call balls and strikes in the evening sometimes, and you had all these guys walk in, and these guys were tired. They, you could tell they were getting their softball bats out and these balls, and they were, they'd sit over there on the side and they'd be like, yeah, I remember this and that. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, we, we played that ball. Yeah. A lot of softball players were reminiscing about their good old days. You got a guy who's 50 years old that walks out, and he's got his jersey with the sleeves cut off trying to show these muscles that aren't there, and he's ready to go. And he hits a ball, a pop fly that goes out of the fence, and he struts around, you know, bragging to the little kids, I hit home run. The reality is, is that he's living out a version of himself, but his greatest victory was decades ago. So now he's still connected to that, but he's not had any great victories recently. So he always wants to tell the stories of the past. Always wants to tell the stories of what I was. And always wants to tell the stories about what he did and how this worked out and how that worked out. Your greatest buck is always the one you've recently killed in that moment when it's just all exciting and all good. But if you've not done anything in a while, you talk about how you, you had a chance at one or there was one. What I'm trying to tell you this evening is that maybe in your life, you need to have a fresh victory over whatever it is trying to defeat you, pull you down, tempt you. It might be a quiet battlefield when you're by yourself, or it might be in a place where you've got your family and friends and church family where you say, God, I'm not, I'm not going to fall to this thing, but all I want you to know right now is whatever it is, you've got to overcome the temptation. Whatever it is, because David didn't just have a giant, David had other giants. And you will also face other giants in your life. Would you stand to your feet tonight? I'm going to ask you right now, if you just close your eyes, if you feel to lift your hands, whatever it might be, but to surrender, can we just reach out and say, Lord, I'm asking you to help us right now. Jesus, I'm asking in this house, Lord, you help us, Lord. Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's just take a moment right now and pray that the Lord helps us, God. Lead us. Lead us, God, in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord.